Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this time we have had to sing to one another, to sing to you, to remind ourselves of the great doctrines of the truth of Christ, to rehearse in our music the mercies and grace and love, patience, long-suffering, and kindness and salvation of our God. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. We really do thank you that you are patient with us. Uh, We recognize, Father, that we are slow to embrace the great things of God in our lives. And yet we thank you for a persistent Holy Spirit who continues to work in our lives, changing us bit by bit. Father, we pray that our hearts might be inclined to cooperate with what you want to do. I pray, Father, that we might train ourselves in saying yes to the Spirit of God, that we might resist the things that you have enabled us and empowered us to resist, to say no to sin, to say no to self, things that you have released us from, that you've uh, broken the power that used to hold us, And so, Father, I pray that we might benefit from our salvation in the fullest sense. I pray that the church of Jesus Christ might move forward in our growth in likeness to Christ. I pray that we might impact each other's lives with the the changes that you you cause to, to occur in our lives. I pray that we might impact our community and our world. I pray, Father, that we might not settle for um, shrinking back into the pettiness of of things that uh, do not in any way resemble the heart of our God. And I pray tonight, Father, that you would uh, take us on a a journey that is healthy and helpful, and that, Father, we won't be hearers of the word only, but but we'll be doers of the word of God, and uh, show ourselves wise, Lord. And uh, we just pray that... um, Uh, We just continue to ask you to call out to you that we would um, never be a place, a church, a community that is characterized as having a form of godliness but lacking the power thereof. But Father, just the opposite. Would we be people who are are authentic in our faith, expressing that through love for you and for our, our, our neighbors? And that, Father, we would... um, Continue to rec- to experience the the deep um, the deep expressions of your love for us and what that means and a deepening relationship for each other that helps to shape each of our lives, Father, to be uh, pleasing to you. So forgive us, Father, for our um, for the ways in which we are carried into natural instincts, natural desires. And help us to, to um, know the difference. And um, by your spirit, head it off at the pass and say yes to you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The fundamental challenge that the Apostle Paul faced in the early church is simply this. Surely the Spirit of God is not enough. I mean, that that really um, encapsulates 
what, uh, what he's writing about. And keep in mind, again, as we, as we dig into Galatians chapter 5 tonight, keep in mind that, that he is responding to um, obvious correspondence that he has received from people within the church. And he's writing them a community letter. And so sometimes he just addresses something right out of the blue, and you're like, well, why did he say that? For instance, uh, you, you see that he says um, in verse 13, uh, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am, I still, why am I still being persecuted? And you're like, where did that come from? He didn't talk about that. He didn't lead up to anything about that. Well, obviously, he's responding to accusations that came uh, from uh, the group that, that he was responding to here. And, and um, um, it, it appears that those who were agitating the Galatian church were saying, oh, by the way, you know, we're not telling you something that Paul isn't preaching. You know, Paul goes all around and he preaches that people should be circumcised. So that's why you should too. And he says, look, if I, if I was still preaching that, why is everybody down my neck? Why is everybody all, all on my case about this? Obviously, I'm not preaching this way. And so um, he faced this, this incredible challenge of, of those who, who were simply saying, surely the Spirit of God is not enough. In fact, Paul, if you teach that and if people try to live that, they're going to slide into immorality so quickly, be neck deep in trouble. Now, in, in a sense, I, I would say to you tonight that we're talking about people who are on the cutting edge, the brand new transition into life in the Spirit. This was, this was a brand new reality. It was a fulfillment of a prophetic promise, but nevertheless, it had no test case. It had no, it had no test run. It was brand new stuff. So the question that begs to be asked tonight is, what's our problem? I mean, the, the Spirit being in charge is 2,000 years of church history. So that we are still struggling with this reality is, is um, troubling, to put it mildly. I can't imagine if Paul, the Apostle Paul was a guest preacher tonight. I'm trying to think that through. If he walked in here tonight to a church 2,000 years old, 2,000 years of church history, of this theology, of the Spirit of God being in charge, living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and we're still talking about this, struggling with this, he'd be like, what is wrong with you? He might say something worse than what he said here in this text. I don't know. But um, what we really want to look at tonight as I push on just a little bit in the text, I only want to push on really for two more verses, 13 through 15. And I want to push, that, push on there because I want to look at how, how are we to deal with the flesh, which is the propensity for us to sin. Though, we've been, though the power of sin has been broken and we have become indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we have received the righteousness of Christ, which is the, the, uh, the, the um, reality of being able to live the right ways of Christ, we are yet still inclined to be drawn towards sin. And so many of us address this, or, or many of, of church settings address this thorny problem in, our, uh, in all of our lives by uh, buying into the idea that Christian ethics should be handled by prohibitions. Just set up a list of things you don't do. You'll fix it. The problem with that is, just when you create a list, new inventions come along. You know, the list that would have been good in the 60s when I was 
not even born yet, but what do I know? When I was, yeah, okay, so I was around. In the 60s, there was no internet. There was no stuff like that. So what would we do? Start writing more, more things to, to somehow corral our, 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 our purity, our, our, our spiritual growth? So what do you have? Church leaders meet every Monday morning and say, like, what's the new things that have come down the pipe? We've got to write new rules. And so many, many of us have, have come up with um, uh, sort of a, a, a teaching and a framework whereby unbelievers have become the negative examples or negative pattern of Christian living. Just look at pagans and don't do what they do. Right? Don't be worldly. I remember hearing that all the time. Oh, they're so worldly. Don't be worldly. I never knew what worldly really meant. I was, what, what's worldly? Well, just don't be like people who aren't believers. Just live opposite of them. Some of them didn't live all that bad. And there seems to me, it seems to me that it's something wrong when, when pagans, people who don't know our God, don't love our God, become the negative example or negative pattern for how Christians ought to live. Just do everything the opposite of them. Sort of like George Costanza theology. That's not what Paul has in mind. That's not what God has in mind for us. By the way, it's probably worldly to know about George Costanza, for all I know. So tonight, I want to look at um, a couple of verses here in verse 13, 14, and 15, and then sort of draw some work with you. I gave you a fairly complex chart to look at tonight. We're going to look at that. I thought you would be so frustrated if I tried to put that on overhead, and some of you who really have to get everything down, you'd be like, I'm going to kill that guy. And then that would damage our whole idea of growing in the Spirit. So, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Aha! But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbors yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. There are two um, sort of prohibitions in this text. One we had this morning, one we have tonight. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the the yoke of slavery. And over here in verse 13, Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. There in the text... The Apostle Paul lays out the two boundary markers. You see it? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, which is to go back into ritualistic kinds of religious boundaries. And the other is don't, you were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Called to be free. We'll catch up with that in a few minutes. Falling away from grace alone or faith alone, or Christ alone, to law alone, work alone, merit alone, choice alone, will result in you being alone without Christ. I'm paraphrasing Calvin, but he said something to the effect of this. You can't have half of Christ. It's all or nothing. You can't dabble around with um, your own energy, your own efforts, your own merit, and also somehow attach and add Christ. You can't have half of Christ 
going on in your life. It's all or nothing. Now, here's, here's a, a, a listing or an outline of what I think the natural man wants. And, and we are inclined to lean toward that when we are not walking in the Spirit, when we are not being led by the Spirit, when we are giving way to our, our, our natural inclinations, our natural man tendencies rather than our calling to be free. The natural man wants a religious sideshow, but not an apparently weak God pinned to a cross. It's a crossless kind of approach. Or the works of human self-justification to preserve a proud, merited salvation rewards from God, but not grace and graced faith that leaves man completely undeserving, lame, weak, and helpless. The natural man wants graceless. The natural man loves selective, external markers that falsely secure so-called religious progress. That's what makes many of the other religions popular. Just tell me a few things that I have to do. I just need a few markers, things that I can manage in my own life, and then I'll be good, I'll be okay, I'll be pleasing to God. Give me that. That's what I want. That's what the natural man wants, but not the implications of a complete divine internal makeover, which is what Christianity is. So the natural man wants a spiritless faith. The natural man wants to settle for the reform of a little self-help in some areas of minor discomfort, but not radical, complete, transformational overhaul. The natural man wants a faith that's transformationalist transformation less not a word but it'll work for tonight the natural man wants a little religion but not an all-consuming relationship the natural man wants a, a religion that's intimateless and so um Paul, in writing here, says we're going to have none of that in the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Christ is entirely about a personal relationship with a living God that has high, high demands that you can't make, that you can't reach, but that the Spirit of God enables you to, that the Spirit of God changes you and transforms you, things you can't do in your own strength. So I, I want to look tonight at, at, a chart, or at our chart for a minute because the church practice implications in this battle between um, burdened again by the yoke of slavery and, free, and, and using freedom to indulge um, um, sinful desires, the, the, the church practice goes in one of two directions to try and respond to this, which are, by the way, uh, wrong applications of what it means to be free. And that's why I want to look at the chart in a few minutes. But the one is adding, to, adding Jesus to arbitrarily localized church customs, which we have labeled over the ages legalism. You heard the ter- you've heard the terms. We've talked about the terms. Um, they vary from church to church. That's what makes it a challenge. Depends where, where you go. That's geographic. What, what you can do in Chatham, you can't do in Oshawa. What you can do in Oshawa, you can't do in Chatham makes it really difficult to try and figure out, well, what really pleases God? Is he a localized God? Is he a different God in Chatham than he is in Oshawa? And wherever you come from? You've probably come here, eyebrows raised. Whoa, they do that here? Ah, oh, we couldn't do that at home. 
They can't do that here? Well, we could certainly do that at home. And so we live by this adding Jesus to some sort of a quasi-localized church customs and try to navigate our way to grow in Christ. We call it legalism. But then there's the other side of it, the do, do anything you please. And this is what parents stay up at all night long in terrorized by the ideas that what are my kids going to do? If they ever get a hold of this theology, it's just you and God, and we're okay with it. They're like, what? Just me and God and anything goes? Well, not exactly. It's you and God, remember. So um, here's what we've tried to do on the, um, the road to being called to be free. And uh, can we go to that chart? Yeah, there we've got our road. And we've got two ditches. And um, there's, the two ditches represent wrong applications of what it means in verse 13 of called to be free. What does it mean to be called to be free? And unfortunately, often Christians are pulled to color outside of the lines on one way or the other. The wrong application uh, on the ba- in the battle uh, against sin for holiness. On the side to our, your left, the side to your left is the ditch of, I'm not in that war against sin anymore. I'm totally free, remember? And that's what we call libertinism, freedom of choice. You see that, and it's the ditch of libertinism. Um, the, uh, the, the next side over is the road to we're going to have to go uh, Matthew right through here the, the, the road in the middle is I'm, I'm freed from sin's power to win battles as I live for Christ and am lead, led by the Spirit that's what we call the Christ intended freedom freed from sin for Christ through the power of the Spirit on the far side is the ditch of legalism. I'm still being overpowered by sin. I'll fight sin with stay-away strategies. Um, I'll fight sin's power uh, by tactics that uh, will help me to win the battle. My religious tactical discipline improves my standing before God. That's what we call legalism. Now, in libertinism, we... Uh, we, we um, um, emphasize freedom of choice. In Christ-intended freedom, we're freed from sin for Christ, to serve Him. In, we're not there yet, Matthew. I'm, I'm still going across the chart again. In legalism, it's all about freedom from hell. That's really the fundamental, the, the fundamental and, and quite honestly, Uh, I skew my understanding to the right because I grew up more in a legalistic framework as opposed to a license or libertinism framework. And so as I experienced the the legalism style of of trying to please God, the, the idea wasn't so much about growing in the spirit as it was just simply being freed from hell. So it was more about the end of the journey Back over to the other side, Matthew, in libertinism. Uh, what the, the, the strategy there is to prove how free I am. And it's a complete surrender to the flesh. I can do anything I want. 
The people wandering around as Christians saying, I, I'm free. Don't you, have you never read your Bible? It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. So I'm free to do anything that I want. Which is what Paul calls a complete surrender to the flesh. He's saying, don't you ever use your freedom to indulge sinful desires. At the center, right in the road of Christ-intended freedom, we have classic, spirit-filled, new creation, no longer, not yet living. In other words, I am no longer bound to sin. I'm no longer a slave to myself. I'm no longer a slave to Satan. But I am not yet all that I should be in Christ. That's how I'm living. Trusting in the Lord. Walking in the Spirit. On the side of legalism, trying to be spiritual by the power of the flesh. I will be more godly if it kills me. And I'll just cut another thing out of my life if I have to. On the side of libertinism, it's presumptive, worldly, self-centeredness. Helps no one. At the center, we're, we're walking in the Spirit, which leads us to holiness. Over on the legalistic side, it's simply evangelical, conservative self-help. Artificial holiness through selective abstaining. The problem with libertinism over in the far column again is it's faith in free to prove my legitimate position in Christ. Quite honestly, I see the next generation of believers wandering over to this side. What we did getting yanked over to legalism, many of our younger people, younger Christians, are being pulled over to this libertine side. Faith in free. To prove I'm a legitimate Christian, look how look, look what I can do. I can do anything. In the center, it's faith in Christ to enable ethical living for Christ. In the legalistic side, it's faith in flesh to keep ethically acceptable to Christ. So what I would submit to you is the libertine side is what we call over-realized Christianity. In the middle, it's realized Christianity. In the legalistic side, it's under-realized Christianity. In both ditches, it's unspiritual. In the center, it's spiritual. And that chart is, a, is an attempt to lay out for you an understanding of what Paul was up against. He is saying, don't go in that ditch. Don't go in that ditch. Stay on this road. Christ has saved you. He has moved into your life. The Spirit will guide you. You can be filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, pleasing to the Lord. Faith in Christ. Faith expressing itself through love. But don't set up some sort of artificial tactics that will be an end measurement in themselves and that you will rely on for spirituality 
These are not of the Spirit. You're not relying on the power of the Spirit. Don't go over here and say you can do anything you want. That's just an excuse to indulge your sinful behavior, sinful nature. Rather, continue to trust in the Spirit. Now, how can we know? What does it look like? What does it feel like when church people, when when people who call themselves believers are in fact wandering one side or the other? We have the classic example here in Galatians. These people who are in fact um, embracing other systems besides trusting in the Spirit are demonstrating some huge problems that I just read for you in a couple of verses. Now, see if some of these things are not uh, uh, descriptive of, of, of uh, troubling situations. These are what I call an anti-spirit checklist. Look at, look at some of the things that are being described here. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Serve one another in love. Love your neighbors yourself. You keep on biting and devouring each other. Watch out, you'll be destroyed by each other. And then he gets down in verse 19, which we'll, we'll talk about uh, next time. I don't want to get too much into there, but look at some of the things he's talking about. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, on and on. The description is pretty easy. You're saying to me, well, how do, how do I know if I'm in the center road? How can I know that I'm really there? Because I want to be there. Well, I'll give you an anti-spirit checklist. Your life is massively characterized by seeking to run the show yourself. That's a bad sign right there. Your submissiveness to God and scriptures is only when it's convenient to you. That's a real bad sign that you're not in the center of that road. Or you're living mostly for yourself. And I'm pulling this stuff out of this text, by the way, as applications from the lifestyle that Paul seemed to encounter with those who were coming to him with another gospel. He said, if your gospel is working so well, how come you're living like this? It, the the, the so-called boundaries of legalism don't seem to be making a big difference in your lifestyle. They don't seem to be making a big, happy uh, situation for the community of faith. Or you're inclined to, uh, to be rebellious toward the Lord and the community of faith. You're treating God's will as a consumer or as a customer. Well, I hear what God says, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to buy into that one. Or you're being served far more than you're serving, if at all. You may not be in the center of that road. It has obviously negative relational characteristics. They're biting and devouring each other. It's not a really fun place to be in the church at Galatia. Lots of egos, suspicious motives. Suspicious of motives. Lots of fights. Lots of trouble. In fact, look at what he describes here in verse, uh, verse 7 and on. The kind of persuasion you're getting doesn't come from the one who calls you. This is not, this is not from Christ. This is from Satan stuff. He says, you, you got a lo- little yeast going on, which is messing up the whole batch. 
A little untruth can lead to total ruin, ultimately. You guys are makers of sourdough, he says. Ringleaders among you, stirring stuff up, but not based on God's truth. That's the characteristic here. False accusers. You've come and said that, that I've been out preaching stuff that, that isn't even remotely true. Spreading gossip. And not only that, this picture here of that you keep on biting and devouring. If you keep doing that, watch out or you will be destroyed. It's a picture of, uh, of, of virtually su- uh, suicidal snakes that have become genocidal snakes. The picture here is, is, a, is of a snake actually biting its own tail and chewing on it and munching itself until somewhere its head and what's left of its body. I'm trying to get a picture of this. But this is the, this is the description of the Galatian church. Now these are the people who are saying, Paul, you're teaching the wrong things. We don't want to be in the center of that road. We want to be in the ditch that side or in the ditch this side. And he's saying, well, look at the product. This is what you want? You think the love of God and the love of loving one another is demonstrated in this place where you're you're actually devouring yourselves? Those who are making the case for external ceremony are not speaking to each other. They're spreading lies. They're having separate meetings, secret meetings. And then they've, uh, they're exercising spiritual pride from those who have the special gift of circumcision. As one writer put it, they are proud of their being a cut above the rest. <laughs> okay, I didn't make it up. I told you. There's another writer. But I like it. That's why Paul says, why don't you just go all the way and emasculate yourselves? So, then what, as we, as we put some sort of thoughts together here, we are not freed from to just be free or to be enslaved again, but to be freed for Christ. And so, um, they had no idea how to handle their freedom. And when a church gets this wrong, it's disastrous. As I said, he he points out they're falling into rituals, rules for holiness. They're indulging the flesh, sinful nature. They're not loving. They're not serving each other. They're self-centered, selfish, ornery, devouring themselves. And the point that he has already made is the theology here is that the flesh has been put to death. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And in 5.18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So moral guidance is given by by God's Spirit. So true freedom, as he points out to us here, doesn't lead to a life governed by external rituals or rules again, and it also doesn't lead to serving the flesh. So what's the overall classic barometer that a church is living by the flesh? From what you see here, what do you think it is? 
What do you think it is? The classic, truly um, major barometer that a church is living by the flesh. It's fighting with each other. It's factions and fractious. And what's freedom look like? Faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Those are the polar opposites. A church that's at war versus a church that's in love. And that's what the power of the Spirit is all about. And this kind of love, this kind of Christ love, is demonstrated for us. What does it look like? It's sacrificial and it's giving. Christ gave his life. It's sacrificial in how we give to each other. We serve each other. It's Spirit-inspired. It's a warmly enriching, edifying community that builds each other up. And the point that the New Testament writers were making and Christ made first is that this era of the Spirit fulfills the law. Isn't that what he said? They came to him and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And what did the Lord Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body. Love your neighbors yourself. And then what did he go on to say? In these two things, all the law and the prophets hang So the era of the Spirit is not a departure from the will of God or from the the history of the people of God. Not at all. The era of the Spirit fulfills the law by moving into our lives and enabling us to live out that love for God, to live out that love for one another. It's the point of the law. And it can't be done by the flesh. It just can't be done. It's a supernatural miracle of the Spirit at work in us. So a person controlled by the Spirit's a holy person. And no other controls are needed. This is what we don't have to be afraid of. If you really love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not go in that ditch, and you will not go in that ditch. You will not. So, are you a free spirit in Christ? Or are you an invader legalist? Do you love like Christ, the Father and his family? Or are you a self-centered libertine? These are the boundary lines of Christianity. So, final pop quiz. And you know I've got my buzzer. Is God's Spirit a sufficient guide for Christian living? Yes? No? I didn't have to put my buzzer. You all pass go. Second question. Are you a trustworthy servant of the Lord, submitted, fully yielding, saying yes to Jesus? Yes, you are. Yes, you want to be. Yes, it is the desire of your heart. You get to go to parking place and collect the whole thing. Free parking. 
All right. We got a couple of minutes for some questions if you've got any. Except for you, Rebecca. <laughs> she already set me up and said, I got a question for you. Do you have a question, Rebecca? What's that? Really? <laughs> no questions? Yes, question. Yeah, he's not gonna. He's not gonna dare ask me a question. I don't know if everybody heard that, but the, the question that, and, and it's, it's the right question to, to, uh, to talk about is, okay, so what's the role of the law? Like, is, is you know, what, what are the things, the other realities of the scripture that are presented for us? The Apostle Paul, Jesus, none of them are throwing the law out. What they're simply saying is the law can't save you and the law can't really sanctify you. It has to be by the power of the Spirit. So, um, the Ten Commandments, for instance, are not abandoned by Christians. The idea is the, pre- the, the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, moving us to please God and love Him and serve Him, uh, moves us to willingly respond to God's will as laid out in the Scriptures. So, those things that are taught to us in the scriptures throughout are not thrown away. It's just simply they're not an end in themselves. They're not a measurement in themselves. If I keep all of these, I'm in good shape with God. That's not, that's not the teaching. The teaching is walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, respond to the Spirit. Um, walking in the Spirit is simply, um, and being filled with the Spirit, is simply obeying the Lord. It's obeying the teachings of the scriptures. It's just the law the law can only show us how far off the mark we are. It can't grow us. It can't change us. This is supernatural work that only God can do. Correct. He, he's summarizing here and saying the intention of the law was, to, was to, to move our hearts to love God and to move our hearts to love one another. And so he's saying if you really do that, if you really by the power of the Spirit of God are thinking about loving your neighbor and all of that means and all that comes out of the scriptures with respect to that, yes, you're going to fulfill that. You're, gonna, you're, you're going to move in that direction. Something else.
in case you didn't hear the question from Rebecca, it, it, the question is, so you've got someone, a colleague, a friend, not a colleague, hopefully, but a friend, <laughs> in, your, in, your, in your case, in your case, um, but a friend, someone in some other church, not our church, who, who is living on the libertine side of things. How do you challenge them with, with the issue there? And I, I think you go right back to the very, the very command here that's stated, that... Um, Living on the libertine side of things is never uh, predicated on loving your brother or your sister. It's a selfish place to be. And so um, if, if we're going to use the scriptures, because, because the, the, um, the argument to be there is to say, well, I've been freed in Christ, so therefore I, I can do these kinds of things. And, and Paul puts the boundaries, and, and on the road he says, no, wait a second. He says, uh, don't do this to gratify your, your sinful nature. The freedom is not for indulging your sinful nature. And in particular, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is this action, is this lifestyle, is this presentation of allegedly the reality of God loving him or loving your brother or sister? And invariably, it's not. That's how I approach it anyway. And Paul does the same thing. In Romans 14, 15, he talks about the whole idea of questionable, disputable matters. And he says, wait a second, are, are, you, uh, are you living in such a way as you're demonstrating love for your brother or your sister? And so we naturally may choose voluntarily not to exercise freedoms we might otherwise even have just because it's a scenario that would, would damage a brother or sister. Something else. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together tonight. We love you. We, we desire to really walk in the Spirit. We, want, uh, we know that's the place to be. We want to be uh, Christ-led people. We want, Lord, to um, uh, live by faith, expressing itself through love, love for the Father in heaven, love for uh, our brothers and our sisters, loving, for, loving our neighbor as ourself. Lord, we... We want to uh, understand what that is. We want to be led by the Spirit, obeying you, Lord, growing, being transformed and changed. So, our Father, I pray that we might, um, we might resist any tendency that we would have to set up an artificial system for ourselves, an artificial tactic or strategy to try and, by our own strength, uh, grow ourselves. On the other hand, Father, we would ask that we would, we would not... Um, under the, the guise of claiming freedom, uh, live a life that is just for ourselves, indulging our sinful nature, doing whatever we want, and thereby damaging other people, um, representing you incorrectly. No, Father, rather we want to live in a way that sums up the whole law. To love the Lord our God, with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and body, and to love our neighbors ourself. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, um, um, decision by decision, yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit where all of those 
under, all, under that category of loving God and loving people, under those categories, Father, where you give us opportunities to grow and show our love and demonstrate our love. Lord, help us, help us to be people who serve each other. Help us to be people who, who um, uh, think the best of one another. Help us to be people who give to one another. Help us to be people who, um, who um, um, demonstrate a willingness, Lord, to, to respond to your word. I pray in all of these things we might grow in the spirit, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.